Okay. Um, you know, you probably all have the same two questions, right? You've been wondering, where's the pastor, and uh, how did that guy get up there? Uh, well, as you heard Jim say, uh, they're out visiting uh, in Beersheba, uh, the kids and grandkids. And um, how I came to be up here is uh, some time ago, I, I said to Rich, I said, uh, you know, I, I have some topics that I could probably do a pretty good job on you know, if you ever need somebody to fill in. So a long time goes by, and, 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 uh, and then the call comes, you know, and he says, uh, hey, I probably need somebody to do one of those topics. So he says, what would you be willing to, you know, to do something on? I said, well, I'd like to do something on wealth. And uh, kind of like, you know, you just kind of get that whole blank look, I think, and, and the phone went pretty silent. And he says, uh, maybe you need to describe that to me. Uh, so, I, so what I'll share with you is basically what I said to him, and that is, you know, it's, it's an important topic. It's something that, you know, uh, touches all of us in some sense. And um, just to, to be clear, you know, the Bible mentions the word wealth 126 times, and then it's companions of money, and riches and those types of words is another 222 times. So we're looking at 348 lessons in money or finance or something related to wealth. So what I thought I would do is break this into two parts. And I said, OK, the first part, maybe I could do a lesson in finance that might help everybody understand what's going on in the world. What, what, what really makes inflation happen? And what, what's all this talk about the money supply and the deficit and, and you know, borrowing and the trillion dollar this and three trillion that? What does all this mean and how does it affect us? So uh, I figured the first part is I'll do that and I promise not to bore. I got, I, in fact, I got a couple of props. Um, uh, really a crutch, but, uh, but um, you know, I said, let me teach a little bit on finance, and I, I think that'll help people understand things. And then part two is, we'll talk about what does God think about all that, okay? And we'll, we'll bring it all to one place and, and see what God's view is. So let's start out by asking, you know, what is wealth? Um, you know, in a broad sense, Miriam says wealth is an overflow or an in, uh, in, uh abundance of something. Uh, now, the abundance that we usually think of when we hear the word wealth is, of course, money or anything related to money. So let, let's start with that. You know, money can be a lot of things. Uh, in, again, in a general sense, money is a measure of worth, to measure value. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, again, when you get the property, you say, well, what it says is the dollar. You know exactly what it's worth. It's worth a dollar. And now we put everything else into terms, you know, and we say, well, what's that car worth? It's worth $1,000. You know exactly what that is. It's a standard of measure, all right? So money really in our, you know, way of thinking today is, is that money is the standard of measure. It's consistent. It tells us what really what things are worth. But, you know, it wasn't always that way, right? Money wasn't always a piece of paper or anything like that. It's been a whole lot of things through history. And <clears throat> before there was money, 
it was a little awkward, right? Because people had to barter, and they'd say, well, I'll trade you these five chickens for that goat. And the guy says, well, I don't really want five chickens. I'd rather have three chickens and two ducks. And the other guy says, well, I don't have two ducks. So it'd be difficult. He couldn't, you know, you didn't want half a goat. So, so they had to come up with these ways to, to come up with things that, you know, maybe we got a better way that we can swap our stuff. And that's where the word trade comes from. They used to trade things back and forth. And now, you know, we've come up with this, you know, standard of measure. Uh, but money's always been something that was useful, okay? Meaning, you know, in the past it was gold, which people could use to decorate and whatnot. And also, it would be something that would be scarce, because if there was lots of it, you know, it wouldn't have a lot of value. So an example, you know, people never used beach sand as money because it was useful, right? You can make glass and you can play in it and, and uh, make uh, co concrete with it, but there's loads of it. So, it, you know, there's nobody that's going to pay you in a bag of sand, you know, or you won't, you won't want that bag of sand. But, like, diamonds are scarce, so that, you know, has some value to it because they're hard to come by. You know, and so historically, you know, money's been, you know, different things like salt was money at one point because it was very useful. It was scarce, hard to come by. People use it to preserve with. And, you know, then they would say that somebody is worth their salt, right? That's where that term comes from. But they've used things like barley and, and all that. And then, you know, when you had what was considered, you know, a wealthy person, maybe they had a ton of land. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have bags of cash or big bank account. They just had tons of land. Okay, or, or tons of, of cattle or camels or, or what, what have you. And then they would actually do things. You know, you get like a, a dowry, right? The, the, the person would give out a piece of land to the, to the married couple, and that's how they would start their wealth, okay? Uh, so the gifts were a little bit different. So that's a little bit on, you know, some of the historical parts of money. And then, of course, it evolved into... People making gold coins or silver coins, and and that's how you started to get this standardization, you know, with this gold coins with a certain amount of money, uh, and that's when people started to be able to exchange using using that type of standard. Now today, money's a lot different, you know. Now it's a piece of paper, um, and even more uh, bizarre, I think, than paper is. Right now, it's a lot of times it's nothing but a bunch of data bits. You know, we get direct deposit, we have a credit card, uh, people wire money, you pay your bills online. Now the money's not even tangible. It's a bunch of data bits. So maybe you have more data bits than somebody else. Okay, but they there's there's something with that though that makes it fragile because you know people can go in and change the data bits. They can try to divert them someplace. Again, they're not tangible. It's very easy to, to maybe you need more money, so you just create more data bits. Uh, so these are the kind of things that, that uh, you know, make it a little scary. Uh, and the other is, why, why do those data bits have value? You know, what is it that makes this piece of paper have some value to it? Uh, well, the government will tell you that it's because they say so. The government says, this is a dollar, and everybody believes them. 
so, or the bank tells you your data bits are worth a certain amount, and you say, okay, that sounds great. Um, that's called a fiduciary system, okay? It's a system of trust. You only think it's valuable because you trust that it's valuable. Uh, doesn't really have any use. Like It's not like a piece of land that you know has some value. Or food, you know that has value. But you know now you're trusting the government to tell you that this is something valuable. You want it. But I always like to go a little step further you know, and say, what's the real reason that money has value? I know the government says it does, but why does it really have value? Why does, you know, why does this dollar mean something? You know, why is it worth more than a napkin or paper towel? Right? Why is the credit card worth more than an ice scraper? They're both made out of plastic. <laughs> All right? But the, the reason is, and this is, this is it's, it's a heavy concept, is the only reason that has value is because somebody else believes it does. Somebody else says, I'm going to take that. I'm willing to accept that credit card. I'm willing to accept that $1 bill or $20 bill. If they stop doing that, it's worthless. But to take it even another step further is not only do they believe that it has value, but they also believe that somebody else is going to think the same thing. Because now they know that they can give it to the next person to pay their telephone bill or put gas in their car. So what I'm getting to is, you know, this is a big system of trust, you know, and it, it, to use a, the word faith, I mean, we, it's a leap of faith that this happens, okay? You can see it's frail. We don't think of it as frail, but it's very fragile. It's a, once that whole sequence stops, where people are no longer believing that you can move this, everybody's just going to accept this $20 bill, everything changes. So stability is very, very important. Now, what I'm leading up to is the fiduciary part, the part where the government says this is worth a certain amount of money and whatnot. For many years, money throughout the world was tied to a gold standard. For every dollar in circulation, or whatever other currency, a franc or a Deutschmark, whatever currency they were using was tied to some gold somewhere. Our gold was in Fort Knox. And what happens was the governments of the world said, well, we need a little more money, so now we're going to do, maybe we only need half as much gold as we have money. And then maybe we only need 10% as much gold as we have money. And eventually, in the 1970s, pretty much the world said, you know what, we're not going to use gold anymore. And what they did was they basically released the gold, and that's when you saw gold prices really plummeted throughout the, the 70s because governments didn't need gold anymore. They just now said money's worth something, and everybody says, okay. So it wasn't even linked to anything anymore. Now... Again, that all works fine as long as things are very stable. But as you saw in 2008, 2009, some of 2010, things weren't so stable. And the governments of the world said, well, we got some problems. Uh, you know, we're running deficits, we've got to do bailouts, we're pumping money back into the system. 
And all this money kind of just makes a circle. You know, the government issues money and people spend it and it just keeps circulating around. But what happens is there's an imbalance. So some governments have more money than others and, and whatnot. Well, the U.S. got pretty far behind on the amount of money that it had or, or needed. And we couldn't just go and print a bunch of money, which I'll explain in a few minutes why we, we can't do that. But so what we did is we started borrowing a lot of money. Now, what you may or may not know is most of our foreign debt, I'm sorry, most of our national debt is held by foreigners. Uh, China specifically owns 60% of our national debt. Uh, that's $800 billion. Uh, so again, I get back to the frailty of it and I say, well, you know, if China all of a sudden doesn't come to the table anymore, we got a problem because our debt circulates. You probably heard a treasury has auctions, right? A treasury auction, you hear it on the news. What is that? Well, the US Treasury goes out every week and they have an auction and people come and bid on the notes. And what they do is they bid below the face value. So you have a $100, I'm just gonna pick a small amount, but they're in big numbers, but say a $100 note and people bid, I'll give you 96 cents for that. Uh, I'll give you $96 for the $100 note. Well, the higher they bid, the lower the interest rate technically because that discount is smaller. But if people stop coming to the table, the price keeps going down. So now they're only gonna bid 92 cents or 91 cents. Um, so it's very important that we maintain that trust, that stability, and that's why we can't just go out and print a bunch of money. Because remember the scarcity thing? If you have too much money in circulation, it's not scarce anymore. I mean, if every time you walked out the door, there was a bag of money sitting there or blowing down the sidewalk like leaves, it, it wouldn't mean anything to you. It, it's not scarce. So the moral of the story is that governments can't just go and print a bunch of money. They have to keep it scarce. We do all this borrowing and whatnot. And what happens is if things get unstable, all of a sudden you notice it would all revert back to the old money, right? All of a sudden now food's worth a lot more than a piece of gold. You can't eat gold. So we get back to our roots, so to speak, okay? Where food, shelter, land, that all becomes infinitely more valuable than paper money or a credit card or a hunk of gold because they're things that we need and can use. Now, for a long time, the US was always considered the safe haven. It was the place to put your money throughout the world. It was always the place the foreign countries would go and, and buy our debt and whatnot. And we have a AAA credit rating, which is the highest you can get. It's like having an 800 uh, score. So we've always been able to borrow cheap money. Now, of course, we're running a $1.5 trillion deficit out of a $3.7 trillion budget. To put that in your terms, or, or you know, regular household type terms, if your household brought in $45,000, that's equal to your household spending $63,000. So you'd have to borrow that uh, extra $18,000 every year to maintain that lifestyle. So you can see why Congress is having this huge debate about let's cut spending, uh, we need to raise taxes, or we, we don't want to raise taxes because the economy's frail, 
And you know, so they're jockeying all around, saying we need to protect our credit rating, we don't want to overspend, we've got to cut these deficits, and now we get this gridlock where they can't agree on that. But what I'm leading up to is all that is the big reasons why you hear all these things going on. And I don't want to sit and give you a lot of doom and gloom because on a good note, you know, the U.S. has always been considered the safe haven. And it still has many, many things that put us above other countries as far as uh, being stable. Our political climate's very stable. Uh, uh, we have a lot of potential for growth. You know, historically, it's always been uh, the biggest e economy in the world. And so the world can look at those factors and say, okay, you know, the U.S. is, is still a good place to be. But my whole point of all this is, no matter how good it seems, for how long it seems, or how stable, or how sound, and, and whatnot, it's still frail. You know, there's still some, there's still some cracks in it. Um, it's not something that we can just ignore. Uh, so those are the things that, that we want to be alert for. We don't want to be, and you've heard on the news, the next Greece or Ireland or Iceland who ignored all those things. And, and what I'm leading up to is that frailty should make us think twice about what we own, what we have, what we want, uh, what, you know, what our government does or, or what we do with our own lives. And um, it's no wonder in I, uh, Isaiah 40, we're told, right, the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of God endures forever. And, you know, that just really kind of drives home that whole point of, you know, why, why do we want to be reminded that, you know, we have some chinks in, in the armor and, and we need to pay attention and put our trust in God, not what's in our pocket. Okay? Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum... Usually what happens is the other extreme, which is our faith in money is too strong. You know, we, we, we're, we're so in love with goods and, and cars and houses and trips and bank accounts and everything else that we do things that we shouldn't do, you know. And everybody wants, you know, the next bigger, better deal. Uh, and what happens? People get overwhelmed with it, right? And they, they steal it or they, they, they kill for it. They covet it. Huh? People say, well, I, uh, I wish I had that car my neighbor has, you know, or I, well, I wish I had Bill Gates's money. You know, so we, we dream about this stuff. So it's really the opposite of the spectrum. We don't think about doom and gloom. We think about, you know, this is rock solid. This is what we want. Uh, you know, people dishonor themselves, you know, the, the, uh, you know like a, 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 a Madoff, okay? They dishonor themselves, they hurt their friends and family, all for the love of money. Um, if you think about it, it's one of those things that can break all ten of the, of all ten of the commandments because, the, again, the faith in it is so strong. The, the pull is so strong in that money. So Matthew 6.21 reminds us, right, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, 
that's, to me, when I hear stuff like that, that's that pull that, that I'm just talking about, that, that faith and money being so strong, and that's the pull that, that you know, drags us into thinking these things. So what happens when we get too confident in money and we're too overwhelmed with it is our priorities change. You know, the focus becomes the us, the me. You know, we, we set our priorities in the wrong place. And if you remember in Deuteronomy 28:47, God's talking to the Hebrews and he's, he's warning them. And he says, I will curse you if you do not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Okay, he promises them that, you know, if you, if you forget about me just because things are good and prosperous, I will forget you. You know, I will turn my back on you too. Um, and Luke 12, 21 reminds us that, and this is thousands of years later, that um, when you turn your back on the Lord, and you become more of the Tiger Woods or Charlie Sheen type, you know, uh, what happens is you get that kind of life. You know, it's nothing but pain. And, and Luke 12, 21 says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. In other words, you get the wrong priority. You're putting you and your money and fun and all this other stuff ahead of the Lord. So it's the priority that really counts. And, and if you remember the other week, the, there was a, um, a thing up here that was saying uh, when they were showing the temple and the temple mount and whatnot. And you could see that's where the priorities changed, right? The, the, the chief priests and, and all these other folks were in there making it more of a mercantile rather than uh, a place of worship. So they put the wrong priority. Now it became a storefront. You know, it was all about making a few bucks while people came. So that's all about, you know, it's, it's the priorities that get messed up. So what's our shield to all this, our defense? You know, um, we, we've got the word of God that shows us that we need to respect these things, okay? We don't need to necessarily respect money, but we've got to respect the influence has a strong influence on us, either when we have tons of it or none of it. We have this influence uh, that falls on us, and we need to respect that influence. Uh, and, and not bend to it, not sway. And Jesus reminds us that, you know, we should become childlike. And Luke 18, 17, right? Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child. Or anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never uh, be in it. And why does he say that? Because children aren't influenced by things like wealth and money and all these things. Right? If you give a dollar bill to an infant or a hundred dollar bill to an infant, they don't care. It doesn't mean anything. They'll chew on either one. And... But if you, give a, if you do that to a 15-year-old even, say, oh, here's a dollar, they're going to latch at the 100. So that's, that's the kind of reasons that Jesus reminds us that 
that we want to be like a small child. We don't want that influence. We want to be unbiased. We want to be able to push it away. Now, there's a very famous quote that says, every possession comes with a duty. And it was actually John D. John D. Rockefeller that gave that quote. And he's the guy who started uh, Standard Oil, which became Exxon and Chevron. And he had a ton of money. And he actually spent half his life giving it all away. And he came up with all these quotes, and that's one of them. But if you think about it, um, it's very true, right? When you have a house, you have a duty. You've got to heat it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to make sure that people don't get hurt because you're, if your sidewalk's crumbling. Uh, you know, you have a car. You've got to maintain it. Make sure the brakes work so you don't run over somebody by accident. You know, you've you got the duty to keep the gas in it, keep insurance on it. So all these things distract you. And, and, and that's where I come to... You know, we, we talk quite a bit about the rich young ruler, right? And he says, well, how do I get into heaven? And, and, you know, and Jesus says, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And the young man became very sad because he had great wealth. Well, I don't think the great wealth made him sad. I think the duty made him sad. Because all those possessions and all those things made him say, I got a responsibility. I don't think I can turn my back on that. I don't think I can just get rid of it and, and move on because, again, the priorities were different. So it's, it's very difficult to change those priorities. And, and Matthew and Luke both remind us, right, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one or love the other, and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's, I think, what the rich young ruler faced is, which I can't serve both. I gotta, I gotta make a choice here. I have these duties. I, I don't know what to do. Now, a lot of people can sit back and say, "Oh, that wouldn't happen to me. Not me. I'd, I'd get rid of it all and follow Jesus. You know, I wouldn't let this money influence me. No, I'm, all, I'm strong. I, I know right what I would do. Well, you know what?" If Publishers Clearinghouse came to your house with the big cardboard check for $5 million, right? And you're there, you're getting your picture taken, and everybody's clapping, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're excited now because all your problems are solved. Um, day one, you can say, yeah, you know what? I'm, all, I'm not going to let this influence me. I'm in, I'm in good shape. And then by day three, things change because a whole bunch of people come with very sad stories and they tell you how they need the money and they need you to help them. And people you, that you forgot you were, were cousins came and they come see you, okay? And all of a sudden now you're gonna start thinking about some other things that you never had to think about before, like what if somebody kidnaps one of my family members and tries to get a big ransom? Because it's been in all the papers, it's not a secret. I've been on TV. You know, and all of a sudden now, what do, I, do I hire a security to protect my family? Do I move away? Do I put up big fences? What do, now, all of a sudden, all you can think about is, what do I do? And where do I put this money? I mean, FDIC only insures up to 250000 what, what do I do with the $5 million? You know, where am I going to put it all? I got to start, what do I put it in 100 different banks? So all of a sudden, all this distraction happens. So even though you might say, 
you know, I'm solid and I'm not going to let these things happen to me, you get all this stuff pulling at you. And what happens is you get sloppy and you start getting careless. And, and, and unfortunately, eventually, money almost becomes like a toy, you know, and you, you find that you can do all these things with it. So the, the influence is incredible. And, and, and that's why I say you have, to, you have to be very cautious with how, how that influence is on you. And, of course, the greater the wealth, the greater the influence. So is there any such thing as being too rich or too smart, too good-looking, you know, too strong? Can you, you know, is there, is there such a thing? Well, Jeremiah 9.23 says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their, of their riches. So, they, you know, we're reminded that you know, maybe it's not a good thing. And, and what I go to is, you know, you can have all kinds of things in life. You can be brilliant. You can, you can have all kinds of wealth. And you can, uh, you know, be a movie star and all these things. But the ultimate thing is death is an equalizer. Okay? We all stand before God the same way. Um, and if you look at it in Proverbs 22, Two, we're reminded the rich and poor have this in common, that the Lord is the maker of them all. And, you know, that's something that hits home when I think about it. I, I say, you know, you can do this, that, and the other, but, you know, that, that'll all be taken away. That's all temporary. Right? None of us get to keep that. It's all borrowed. Uh, and... Uh, the Lord does promise us. You know, we, we've been, you know, I, I hate to say it's almost cliche-ish because you hear it often, but, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And the Lord promises us in First Samuel that the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He rises, he raises the poor from dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And he sits them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. Uh, and again, none of that is things we get, you know, through working or through inheritance or through anything on this planet. It's all, again, that's all temporary. That's, that's the, the end. You know, that's, that's where we want to be. And what that brings us to is, you know, so what is wealthy? You know, what, what does that really mean then, now that we know all these things that I've talked about? You know, is it 10 million? Is it 1 million? Or is it 100,000? Or is even $1,000? Is that wealthy? You know, and, and, you know, you hear in the news, right? Government tries to tell us what wealthy is. What's the poverty level? What's the wealth? What's considered high income, low income? And they don't really know. Because wealth isn't really money. It's a lot of other things. And it's really anything that we have that, again, is overflowing, something we have more of than we really need. Uh, if you think about it, every single person here, right, has luxuries that kings and pharaohs never had, right? You, you want hot water? Turn on the faucet. Pharaoh had to have servants heated up. He had to wait and for the fire and all this other stuff. 
Or maybe it's a little warm, so you just turn up that AC a little bit. You know, kings didn't have AC. They sweated. Uh, if you want to travel, okay, you got a car, you got jets, you can travel great distances safely. You're in the car, you got music going, you got heat, AC. Kings and pharaohs on chariot or horseback, danger going through the woods or through the desert, thieves, robbers, wild animals. They had all these dangers. We don't have any of that. We've got luxuries they never had. So are we more wealthy than, than Pharaoh? Maybe we are, at least in certain ways. How about medicine? Okay, they got fevers and died. Or if they needed surgery, no anesthesia. We, you know, we're blessed with anesthesia. We've got all this abundance that they never had themselves. So compared to somebody else, we're all wealthy. Okay, we all have our own way of being wealthy. Some of the worldly ways is if you think about it, if you have shelter, you're infinitely more wealthy than a homeless person is. Or if you have food, you're much wealthier than a starving person. And if you have a job, you're more wealthy than the unemployed. How about if you can walk? There's people that, that can't walk, and we, take, we, don't, we don't even think about it. You ever think about it? You're walking is, is a privilege. We don't, we don't think about that stuff, okay? Or how about peace? You know, a lot of parts of the world don't have any peace. If you're in Afghanistan or Libya, you're afraid to get shot. You're afraid to bomb or a bullet or a, or a rocket in Israel. When you came here today, anybody think about somebody might shoot at you or there might be a bomb in the parking lot? We don't have to worry about those things. But that makes us more wealthy than somebody who does worry about those things. But we don't think about that. Uh, even just breathing. You know, there's people that, that have trouble breathing. You know, they're on oxygen or they're suffering. I, I had a, a, a very good friend that, that recently died from a lung infection. They'd do anything to be able to breathe. They'd, they'd give away anything they had to be able to breathe again. And they, they couldn't. They... they they died from it. We don't think about the abundance of fresh air that we have. And the ultimate wealth, of course, is, is if we compare ourselves to the unsaved. You know, we, we have the gift of, of Jesus to bring us or bridge us to God. And to the unsaved, we're infinitely more wealthy than the people that can't be reached, the people that refuse to be reached. You know, that, that's things that sometimes we don't think about. You know, we, we discount that type of thing. So the moral of the story here is not everyone's rich in the same way, but we're all rich in some way, okay? And for this group, being saved. And for some people, it's, you know, they're safe. There's an endless list of things that we can consider ourselves wealthy for. And God teaches us all that throughout the whole Bible that, you know, the real wealth is in the fellowship, okay? It's in being close to God. It's in being close to, to God-like people. And that's where real happiness and peace is. And it cracks me up because the other day on the, on the radio, they had this big study, you know, and the big study said, amazingly, people are more happy 
when they have friends and fellowship than they are when they have lots of money. And I said, you know, that's, that's not a big surprise. You know, that's um, something we're told all the time. All we have to do is, is listen to it. Uh, so, you know, the bottom line of all this is our real treasure is with God. It's, it's with the Lord. And, and um, sometimes we just got to think a little bit about what does that really mean? And, you know, how sound and solid, how much of a rock is these things that we have, like a bank account, compared to what God has, has given to us? Okay, so let, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for teaching us your word and teaching us that you are the rock and you show us what real wealth is and you show us how to be wealthy in you as opposed to wealthy in the world. We pray that you remind us and you keep us humble. We know we're humble when we come to you. Help us to be humble each and every day and to remember about all the good things that we have and and all the great wealth and and privilege that uh, that we have when we compare ourselves to someone who's less fortunate. We pray that we never forget that, and we thank you for loving us and and keeping us in your 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 way and not ours. Amen. Amen.